welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 29. So today we are very, very lucky to be joined by Dr. Scott Stevenson. And uh, yes, Scott is an applied exercise physiologist and he also has a PhD. Now, also alongside this, Scott has got to the level where he's been training athletes like David Henry, who recently took to the stage at the Arnold Classic and placed an amazing second. Arguably, from some mm. points of view, he would have been placed first. In my opinion, I think he should have been. Um, but yeah, also Scott is a, a very accomplished uh, bodybuilder within the MPC, taking four overall titles. Um, and yeah, awesome, awesome physique. Um, and a guy that's got you know so much experience, which is why I sort of contacted Scott initially because been following him for a while and just looking at his training methods it's definitely some of the things are a little unorthodox and i'm sure that we'll crack into sort of some of them today so scott thanks very much for for coming on and and welcome to the podcast yeah this is um especially because as we just talked about you've got a bit of a younger audience this is especially important to me i get asked i ask the question in, in the gym all the time like so how long you've been training and most of the time, to sort of convey that, it, it, it really it, it really hits home with people. I'll say, well, how old are you? Yeah. And the guy might say, oh, I'm 28. I said, well, I started seven years before you were born. <laughs> yeah, nice. <clears throat> so it's nice to be able to take that information. It's so important and and convey that, you know, pay it forward, really. Absolutely. That's super important to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, natural or assisted bodybuilding, like either or, it's, it's, it's like a it's a old man's sport like the best people in the game are are older they're they're more mature they've put down mm. the foundations and they've stayed consistent like you look at the i mean obviously there's top pros coming up now that are younger and that have had maybe more years of knowledgeable training behind them but the majority especially within the natural scene like some of the best bodybuilders are like in their late 30s early 40s um mm-hmm. so it's definitely about playing the long term for sure um so scott if you could sort of give the listeners a bit of background about yourself in terms of how you initially got into the industry um and then obviously how that transferred to getting to the level that you are now obviously prepping athletes as, as high as david henry that's that must have taken some quite some time to get to that level um and also obviously how you've developed uh, what is fortitude training and uh, yeah I'd like to sort of know more about your background okay um, I was just your regular old meathead I was just a kid I started reading muscle and fitness flex magazine I collected them as a kid thinking awesome. these are going to be jewels of information yeah. you know I can have this incredible library for the future um, I've since thrown all those away except like you know a couple keepsakes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know I started I started I wanted to lift weights actually as long as I could remember my mom wouldn't let me uh-huh. Because she thought it might stunt my growth. Yeah. And you can't blame her. You know, she's looking after her son. Uh-huh. So I did that for sports throughout high school. Um, throughout college, I kept on lifting despite I had a pretty full, fully enriched college experience and everything you possibly could in college. And um, I got done with college, and through sort of a twist of fate, I ended up going to study exercise science, exercise physiology. Because I just figured, what do I love? What I really like doing? Uh-huh. What can I make a career out of, too? Um, and that was the one that made sense. So just kept doing that. Just kept kind of following my passion. Mm -hmm. So I got a master's degree. I realized how much I love to teach. Like, well, I need to get a PhD if I want to continue to do this. And I realized how much I love learning. Um, that just, you know, just almost an addiction to it. It's really, I'm a perpetual student. I love the, the, the process of digging into information. So um, that just kept me going. Um, and that's sort of where I've been continually. I'm always looking into things. Mm-hmm. Um, something pops up. I don't know. I tell people this a lot of times. Some of the smartest people I've known say, and I do the same thing is if you don't know something, you look it up and then yeah. you look up something else. You'll find something else you don't understand. You can continue on a tangent for hours. Yeah. I do that. I trace those back as far as I possibly can and then repeat that when I don't, um, if I don't remember something, because I'll forget things yeah, and I have to look sure. them up again. Yeah. So um, I started started competing in the late 90s. Okay. Um, so I was in my late 20s at that point, actually. 
Oh, um, wow, okay, a bit of a late broom to the bodybuilding stage, I guess. In a, in a way, yeah. I mean, I went, I went to, went to, I did some pretty intense training in college. Yeah, no, sure. There, there's a program called Cybergenics, which probably I've never heard, heard of. of it. Yeah, it's still, still the hardest thing I've ever done. Wow, absolutely insane. <laughs> I mean, this is an example. Um, it was a night. It was one of the first programs to say like this kit yeah. of supplements, which okay. probably did nothing in the context of it all. <laughs> what, for instance, when training. Um, just the first exercise for legs. Yeah. You do squats. You pick about a six, eight rep max. Okay. Go to failure, and then you'd have your partner assist you with negatives until you could no longer do a controlled negative at all. <laughs> Drop the weight down to another weight you can do six to eight reps. Do that again. Positive, negative, failure. One more time. Positive, negative, failure. Then step out of the rack and start doing jumps, like deep jumps <laughs> until you or jump off the ground. And then you would then you do deep knee bends with body weight until you can no longer stand up under your own volition and then you would assist yourself up until you can no longer lower yourself until you can no longer stand and then you would do a contraction an all-out contraction wow you do that five times wow and that's just squats <laughs> so that's the kind of train that's the sort of mentality i had you know as a few screws loose type yeah. of team yeah, I um yeah so i did some heavy training but i never because of graduate school i never got into competing until my late 20s okay. um I met Dave actually in the gym. It was just completely fortuitous. It was oh, okay, cool. That's that's a nice story. Yeah, <laughs> he wanted. I think it was a Smith machine. It was about two thousand three, I think, and he wanted to use it, and I was on it, or vice versa. Yeah, we just started chatting, and um, the time I had I had looked into doing dog crap training, which is some DC of your training. listeners may be at DC yeah, training. Yeah, yeah. I had come to the same, almost all the same conclusions that Dante had with my own training. I wasn't doing rest pause sets. Okay. I was doing everything. I'm like, okay, this is kind of eerie. I'm reading this. I'm like, this is what I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Everything was fitting together almost exactly. So I started doing that. Uh And that's when Dave became known um, for doing dog crap training. And I followed along with Dave and eventually became a DC trainer. Dave or Dante was like, well, you know the system as well as anybody. Yeah. I did it for nearly a decade. Wow. Okay. Um, and that was part of what led to fortitude training. Um, Dante got really burnt out, didn't really want to have to do it. He really pushed himself helping everyone he possibly could. And he sort of fried out that, um, that empathy center in his brain, I think (laughs) to a certain degree, he still helps a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I developed fortitude training, uh, based on a lot of things that I learned there and the research that I've been reading about. So high frequency training, um, some of the things that I had done when, when playing around with dog crap training, um, uh, some of the things that came from injuries, for instance, yeah, okay. as an example, I don't think I've talked about this before. Um, I don't remember. I was doing something. I got a small tear in one of my triceps. Okay. Of course, that, that hampers you from doing overhead presses, chest presses. I was having trouble even doing pull downs, that sorts of thing, because, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was in the long head, actually okay. partially in the long head at least. Okay. So I, in order to rehab that, I had to start doing really low load stuff so I wouldn't re-tear. Mm. I rep sets. Yep. And I recognized after doing it, it's like, oh my gosh, my, my triceps are actually Growing getting up. better than they were before aside from the tear. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That kind of turned, turned me on to the idea of metabolic stress. This was like a decade ago or so. Wow, okay, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, so that's like one piece when I'm reading of the research about metabolic stress um, and you know, playing around with these ideas in the gym and training weak muscle groups with higher frequency, which a lot of people have done. Yeah. Um, and I started putting those things together. And um, I recognized from doing all the training I've been doing that volume um, recovery, uh, recovery in general is highly, highly variable. Yep. So I knew a system that would that would uh, adjust to that would be necessary. Okay. So I was interested in a high frequency seemed to work. Variability of stimulus in terms of the load, so heavy loading on one end. I mean, slag iron, as Dante likes to call it, mm-hmm. picking up big stuff, core lifts, deadlifts, partial deadlifts, yep. squats, presses, dips, those sorts of things are going to work. If you get extraordinarily strong, you find someone who's squatting 500 pounds for 10 reps, they're going to have big legs pretty much. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. may not be like have Tom Platt's level legs. But they're going to have big legs in the in the general sense, yep. and they'll have gotten larger legs in getting from two and a quarter for ten or twelve 
to 495 for 10 or 12. Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's quintessential. Some sort of a progressive overload has to happen, but that can happen in different rep ranges. Sure, of course. Um, and it also makes sense if you're getting older that you um, adjust your, your rep ranges depending on how your joints are doing to a certain degree to avoid the risk of injury, especially if you've gotten stronger. Yeah, yep, uh, yep, yep. Risk of injury goes up when you start doing, you know, 600-pound, 700-pound rack deads and, you know, you're 43 and you've been doing those since you were 13, <laughs> heavy loading for 30 years. Yeah. It's like, okay, we gotta, you, gotta be, you have to pay very, very close attention to what you're doing and how, you, how your form and those sorts of things because the nagging injuries will come in. So loading, focusing on metabolic stress and different ways to load the muscle was very important. Okay. Um, some form of periodization is absolutely vital. Okay. And what Dante had folks do and what I had done, what really works as long as someone's not overly uh, OCD about it um, and they can actually do this is some form of auto-regulation. Yeah. Where they can recognize I need to take a step back. I need to have some sort of a deload here. Um, what I do in according to training is an intensive cruise. Okay. And we can talk about that. Um, it's a form of a taper. Sure. Okay. That's Science strongly suggests that, and that actually fixed a problem with Dante. Well, he would do a blast and cruise, and I've retained those terms and given him credit. Um, in fortitude training, you do a progressive blast where you're trying to progressively overload. Yeah. An intensive cruise, which is different than what Dante had people do. He allowed them to do sort of whatever various options, whatever suited them, and some people would take two weeks off, oh, do nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Destroyed themselves. And what happens sometimes is those folks would come back and they'd taken two steps forward and they come back after their cruise and they'd have taken a step back. back yeah, yeah. Be weaker. And they spend half of the next blast just getting back to where they once were. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to correct that. And I really think I have um, with the way I do the intensive cruising. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things that fits into Fortitude Training, and I've got a whole camp that I do with this where I kind of explain this in detail. Yeah is that the research strongly suggests it's kind of a cool line of reasoning that the muscle has a capability of recovering to a much larger extent than the nervous system, the endocrine system, the immune system. Yeah. So the muscle can, can grow under extreme forms of duress, and this comes from animal models, okay. where you can do things to force muscle growth mm-hmm. that you really couldn't do with an individual. No, one would, no individual would sacrifice themselves to that sort of a procedure. <laughs> Yet phenomenal muscle growth above and beyond what weight training can produce. If you yeah. look at the animal models of weight training compared to the human models, you get about the same time course mm-hmm. and extent of muscle growth. Mm-hmm. And then when you apply, so that makes it, that sort of gives you some logic that suggests that muscle in rats grows in the same way that muscle in humans does. Sorry. Dog <laughs> That's right. It might happen a couple of times. It That's happens cool. a lot. It's very <laughs> You know, they keep me protected. <laughs> so there's some, the line of reasoning is that muscle in rats or anim, the animal models um, that mimic weight training grows to the same extent that you see with weight training in human studies. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when you apply these animal models like compensatory hypertrophy, you, for instance, remove a soleus muscle, one of the plantar flexors, and you watch the gastroc grow, yep. and it'll increase, you know, muscle size and um you know, many times faster and to a much larger extent, you actually get hyperplasia in those situations too. Okay. Um, that, that such a sort of thing could be possible in humans, but you're not going to take out the soleus of a bunch of bodybuilders <laughs> just to make the gas drop. Yeah. Not gonna... yeah. So that's just the muscle can recover, um, but you know, you couldn't train in that way. You couldn't, you know, continually overload your body all day long, like stay in the gym. Um, and lift continuously, which yep. is kind of what, because your, your nervous system would break down, your immune system, you'd be at sick, your endocrine system, you know, you'd overtrain. So I've, I've then figured out, I've, at least this is, this is an in the gym type of technique. Mm. Um, but what I found in particular is that doing, going to failure, like a true momentary muscular failure where that last rep, you're about to bleed from your eyes type of failure. Yeah. Those are the ones that really cut into your nervous system recovery yeah. and the other aspect of recovery. So, you know, you can do, you know, three sets of nine, um, with that 10 set being 10th rep being a, um, a failure one mm-hmm. and just stop a rep or two short 
and you might get 27 reps with that load. Yeah, yeah. Over those three sets. But if you took those three to, you might not even, you might get 10 in the first one, then you might drop to eight and seven because of the failure, because of what that does, the inroads that it creates on your nervous system. Yeah, yeah. So you might end up with roughly the same amount of um, loading on the muscle in terms of reps times load, mm -hmm. but the inroads into your nervous system can be much greater when you hit failure a sure, lot. Sure, sure. Failure has uh, failure has its advantages for programming. You want to be able to know this is a maximal effort. This is the best I could get. I did it with 200 pounds. Next, I'm going to try 205 pounds. Mm -hmm. So you, that's a very, very important tool, I think, at least, for progressing your training. But you want to be careful in, in how you do that mm -hmm. because then you'll you'll cut into your ability to recover from your training and come back and do it again. So one of the ways I do that is having, depending on the volume or volume tier you're using with fortitude training, if you're doing multiple sets, only the last one would go to failure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the previous ones, yeah, and fort and powerlifters do that all the time. Yeah. Powerlifters don't want to fail. Yeah. They don't want to miss the lift because you're practicing missing a lift. Yeah. Um, and also I have people do continuous sets. So um, to bring up DC training again, there's a, a set type in dog crap training called a widow maker. Okay. Okay. Where the idea is that you know, if you were married, you would be basically trying to kill yourself and thus make your wife a widow. <laughs> so you people should look at you when you're doing these. Think this guy's out of his mind. He's trying to commit suicide under the squat bar. <laughs> so you do a number of reps, and then you take a break, break, and bang out a few more reps, and take a break, take some breaths, and you try to extend the set to get as many reps as you possibly could, like it's like your life depends upon it, like it's yeah. a gun to your head. You have to keep getting reps. Okay. Doing that destroys you. It's yeah. a great way to grow, but you can only do so many of those. Yeah. Um, but what you can do is accumulate some volume in your training by doing continuous repetitions and avoiding that stop and go. Because yeah. each time you stop, you're getting close to failure and you're like, you know, inching away at those inroads and then you take a break and then you do that again, do that again, as opposed to just one continuous um, repetition basically straight connecting set. all your know, straight set mm -hmm. with no pauses in there, a continuous, mm -hmm. um, continuous flow of reps. And that, that causes, it's a bit different to do that if you're not used to it yeah. because you want to stop yep. 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 your, your mental mechanism say, okay, I want to stop cause I'm, I'm going to get to 10 reps here. It'd be easier if I stopped at eight and then did two singles. Mm -hmm. You just want to keep going. And once you get used to that, it does end up, um, Having fewer inroads, it does make make it a little bit easier in terms of recovery to do that. So, those are two things I built into the system. Sure. Um, there's auto regulation in terms of the exercises you choose. Okay. So, if for instance you've done an incline press earlier in the week and come to the gym, some of the different set types that I have, um, you choose. You just basically sort of wing it to a certain degree. Okay. You could you can go in the gym and say, well, I really like this exercise. I'm going to do this one. I'm going to bang away at it and progress with that week after week. Yeah. Or you could say, well, you know what? I'm not going to do an incline machine because I just did incline and my incline chest is just whacked. There's no point in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've already, already got plenty of stimulus there, plenty to adapt from. I'm going to do something different. Mm -hmm. That also fits in well with injury as well. Yeah. Because you don't go in and say, well, I got to do squats even though my knees are killing me. That's why I think a lot of older guys can't do squats anymore. As they thought, squat, yeah. you have to do squats if you want big legs. Yeah, just do squats, you know, for years and years and years, and eventually they just destroy their knees. Whereas if they just use pain as a guide, and which you might call common sense, hmm. you know, I can train heavy, um, I can train hard on other exercises that don't destroy my knees. Mm -hmm. So that auto regulation fits in with the exercises that you choose. Okay. It fits in with how much volume you do. I have different volume tiers, so you know I'm on tier one, two, or three. Yeah, and you adjust depending on how you feel. If you were just if you were just um, had a really rough rough work week, and you know you, you didn't sleep very much, you didn't eat very well, you're not going to be able to recover from yeah. a higher tier. So you just drop things down. Okay. So um, I think those are all the and of course the duration of your blast too. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be individual variability. Isn't yeah, it? totally. I mean, I, m most people won't go past six weeks the way I have it set up. Okay, uh, yeah, that's that shows how intense it is because obviously you can yeah. run other training programs for like I don't know eight or nine weeks with quite a long run and then be able to 
to, to sort of deload off that. But six weeks seems quite short. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it does. I mean, I've seen people go eight, but typically six is all you want. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's interesting, well, here's here's why I'm not, I'm not worried about that, because you blast for a period and then you take a cruise, and you have to sort of figure out for yourself when it's time to take that cruise. Okay. But that cruise is a taper. Yeah. So you switch to only to a certain type of set type. In Fortitude Training, it's a form of a cluster set. Okay. So it's like a rest pause set in dog crap, but it's called a muscle round. Yeah, and people, I've seen them, yeah. Yeah, people, a lot of people putting up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just do those, and when you do those, of course, you choose the exercises you want, but those are still brutal. Mm-hmm. You're still training hard, but you drop your volume down. Yeah, okay. So like swimmers are really renowned for doing this. A lot of endurance athletes, um, you know, even foot, American football players, you know, they won't have like a crazy workout the day before a game. Yeah. There's some sort of taper. So you get a super compensatory effect. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the tape, the, basically the um, cruise is set up with two thirds of that time. And the duration of the cruise is based on how long you blasted. So yeah. you blasted for six weeks, you're going to need about a two week cruise. If you blasted for three weeks, you need about a one week cruise. And when people come back, they've super compensated. Um, and this is this, the progress they've made. Yeah. It's functional overreaching is the term that's used in the overtraining literature. Yeah. So you didn't overreach or overtrain to the point like, okay, now I just screwed myself. I mean, like now I've, I've lost performance and I got to like rest up. Yeah. You've got, you've just pushed a little bit uh, enough to where you're going to create an adaptation when you back off, but you keep the intensity high. Okay. The volume just less. Then that's what I think. You know, it, this is what the research shows when they mm. actually test this: is that is that those two things are vital for creating this overreaching effect. Amazing, yeah. So, yeah. I think. Um, what do you in terms of like when you get to a cruise? Um, obviously, I know that with fortitude training, obviously you you coach people directly, but with some of the fortitude training principles, you can purchase almost like an ebook. Um, now, do you in the ebook? Do you give <coughs> what's your sort of like general recommendations as to what someone should feel like prior to cruising because quite a lot of people are always confused and I get a few questions I'm sure you get hundreds but as to when I should deload or when it's right to back off what general feelings or signs do you have people measure when they need to cruise it's a really good question um First of all, it's going to be between three and six weeks for, oh, I would say, 90, 90% of the people mm-hmm. if they're training. And the reason I can say that is the way I've set up um, the different set types, um, you have to train hard. Mm-hmm. You can't lollygag through the training program and, and do muscle rounds the way they're set up because you're going to push and you're going to progressively overload on the what are called loading sets. Okay. So the program constrains you to hard training, and that's relative to you. Mm-hmm. Um so you don't want to go to the point where you're feeling uh, overtrained, okay. typically, like where you get up, you have difficulty sleeping, you may have an elevated heart rate. Um, the overtraining literature on with resistance exercise, resistance training, is very, very scant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, the typical testosterone to cortisol ratio indicators, um, you can look at heart rate variability, all these sorts of things haven't really been studied in the context of resistance training all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but those are things to definitely avoid. If your appetite's going really, really down, and this is different than what it would have been had you been eating that much in another program, because yeah. um, a lot of people are just eating so much food, it's no wonder they're not hungry. You know, that's mm-hmm. you can't blame that on the training, it's just the amount of food. Um, that uh, motivation to train is huge. Yeah. Um, sometimes just getting a pump in the gym can yeah. be one, too. That maybe one of the things that, and I note this in the book that's pretty interesting, is that especially with highly damaging exercise, because, and this is one thing that will cause that um, uh, elevation of metabolic rate, EPOC, excess post-exercise and oxygen consumption, yeah. that can last for over a day when it comes to really brutal resistance tr- exercise, yeah. is that the damage in the muscle really has, creates a high energy demand um, and it also impairs your ability to load glycogen. Mm, okay. So if you don't have much glycogen, you're not going to get a very good pump. Yeah, yeah. So someone who over the course of weeks has been training frequently, and you train most muscle groups three times a week mm-hmm. in fortitude training, four in one of the versions. There's a basic and a turbo version. Wow. Okay. So if, if you're not recovering and the muscle is staying damaged – 
um, then you're not going to load glycogen very well. You're going to feel that in the gym, and mm-hmm. that's going to have a psychological. He's like, man, I'm just sore everywhere, and it's I'm, I'm I got this achy, almost flu-like feeling. Yeah, that right there is like, okay, you need to cruise. Yeah. You need to like go right into your cruise. You know, take a couple of days off of training altogether, execute the cruise as you t- typically would. It's going to be two or three, maybe four training sessions for a week, um, and then some days off, completely off at the end. Okay. So those sorts of things: appetite, sleep. Um, I actually have a perceived recovery scale okay. that I give to people sometimes as well. And if um, those markers are going up, obviously it's time to maybe cruise. Or down, yeah. If the oh, numbers go down, ah, yes, down. of course. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so that's that's something someone uses as a guide. So okay. it's a hard thing, especially if you're making good gains. Yeah, it is. You're like I'm kicking butt. I'm beating the logbook every time I go in on most, if not all, of my exercises. And I want to keep doing this. And people will just bang away, bang away. Um, the other thing that people can do too is if they're using a particular volume tier, you can adjust that. Okay. So it's like I've been at volume tier three. Some people will do this. It's, it's, it makes for a really nice program flexibility because some people know when they first come back, it takes a while to get in the groove. Mm-hmm. So they start with volume tier one and then they build up. Mm-hmm. One and then two and then maybe even three for a week. And then they realize, okay, three really pushed me, but if I drop back to two, that next week I can recover. Yeah. And they yeah. extend their period of progress out with the blast until they have a cruise. Mm-hmm. Whereas others are like, I took that week off, that week worked great for me. This is just individuality. Everyone's a little bit different, you know? Yeah, sure. And they'll start off with two or three, and they'll just bang into it, and then they'll drop their volume tiers down mm-hmm. and almost use the second portion of the tier, of their blast, excuse me, as a prolonged taper. Yeah, um, and then and the sort of wean their way into the actual in, in, intensive cruise where they do have a true taper. Mm, yeah. So, but it's and sometimes it's just you just screw it up. Sometimes you're like, okay, I push too hard, man. I need to know, you know, I can't go six weeks. There's no way it's going to have to be four. Yeah. And even if you go three and you've really pushed it, it's only a, it's literally you're only it's a week long intensive cruise, and you're going to train about two thirds of that time. So you're just taking like one. One workout off. Yeah. And you're going to get stronger. If you've gone three weeks, almost everyone's going to come back with an overreaching effect of some sort mm-hmm. just by taking a day off. You, Everyone listening, I presume, knows this. Like, yeah. as long as it wasn't a day like that was during a weekend of, of binging on alcohol or what have you. Yeah, or underfeeding um, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. You're going to come back better in a day off. And I suggest people do that too if they need to with fortitude training. Just like, if something happened, you know, you're up all night long because you had a baby that was crying or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, then you just take a day off, you know, be smart about it, pick up yeah. where you left. I, I think that's um, that's awesome. That's obviously why you've got the results that you have with this sort of protocol and approach is because that's like auto-regulation is somewhat, I think, like overlooked in a lot of other programming tools where mm-hmm. people just don't, don't essentially listen to themselves enough but at the same time, I think, and I'm sure that you'll back this up, it's like people can almost, yes, take the piss with autoregulation because if they're not willing to push themselves as hard as they need to, they'll never realistically tap into the, the progress that they could have. So I guess another one of my questions to you was like you seem to very much push the idea of intensity and how important intensity is and use the you use the sort of the phrase earn it which i really right. like and I'm, <laughs> I'm just wondering as to how especially in the ebook as well or when you give out protocols how do you sort of give people guidance as to how they're going to push that hard or is there any sort of like tools or I guess, cues for people to know when they've achieved the correct level of intensity within the approach that you're doing? <laughs> Some of that is just going to be inherent to the individual. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I agree. Like I said, I tried to build it into the program. So let's say if you're on the highest volume tier um, and you're training thighs. Okay. So you're on volume tier three. Yep. Someone would, would pick a compound exercise and then they it interspersed between – the three sets of that exercise with two isolation exercises. You might do a squat, a knee extension, squat, hamstring curl, squat. Okay. Only that last set of the squats is taken to failure. Mm-hmm. So what what is failure? I mean, literally, what 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 does that mean for everybody? It's just as hard as you can go. Yeah. 
is all you can do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had, I'll tell you a story. I, 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 I was, I, I was thinking about videoing the set, but I didn't. Uh-huh. When I was in Columbus, um, it was really cold there, and I had I still had these sniffles that were coming on, and I started to get a bloody nose. I just got a crack somewhere up my nose, and I blow my nose and start to bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been supplementing with a lot of uh, uh, omega threes and eating a lot of salmon. Mm-hmm. And that makes thins my blood considerably. This has always happened to me, just because I was just to fight off inflammation and um, yeah, yeah. You know, all the achy and creaky. So <laughs> my, my my nose will start bleeding. And so I've told a couple people this story because it was really it looked most have looked absolutely ridiculous <laughs> when I did it, and I'm not doing this. Sounds like oh god, he's going to toot his horn about how hardcore he is, but when I when the nose my nose started bleeding during this set of, of actually was Smith squats so I could go to failure and not worry about it. Um, <laughs> I just like it's just my nose bleeding. It didn't bother me, mm-hmm. you know. It's like what you know whatever. So I I had a, a bunch of weight on the bar and I did I ended up doing a set of ten. And my nose was bleeding the entire time, you know. It was bleeding out into my mouth. My mouth was filling with blood. I was having to swallow the blood. It was, like, pretty nasty. It was like a horror flick. Yeah. If you're squeamish, you would have been like, oh, my God. This guy's out of his mind. And I just, you know, I did what I had to do, and I cleaned up, and I was good to go. But that's because I've been doing those sorts of sets in a way that most people don't want to do for decades. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm stupid. I'm I I like that. <laughs> I enjoy that. And that's part of my mentality. That was there with me from the very get go. Mm-hmm. I really like training hard um from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like that. Yeah. Some people that's not their like that's not their their I like to say, okay, I'm gonna see what I can possibly do. Um I wrote an article for Elite FDS um I think it was uh, Rust Proofing the Iron Warrior, I think is the name of it. Okay. Um, and I talked about, fun. yeah, it's a good article. It's just some things that about sort of enhancing your longevity, um, topical, uh, like Quan Luong oil is a topical that I, you know, it's yeah, anti-inflammatory. I've, I've seen Jordan use that, Jordan Peters. Right, yeah, Jordan loves it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... And in that article, I talk about um, you know the things that happen when you train really hard. You may you may end up bleeding. You may you may shit yourself. You may pass out. You know, you pop the vessels in your eyes, yep. all that kind of stuff. And that's just how some. That's really not the most logical thing to do. No. So so that's one end of the spectrum. That's where some people want to go because they like that. It's fun. Some people want to jump out of airplanes. Yeah. Some people like to like throw a parachute out and then dive after it and get it. Like they like to feel that much, you know, like James Bond movie. Yeah. Some people are like, I'm not even going up in an airplane because they, that's that scares them. Mm-hmm. So everyone's different. You can't, I can't, especially online, tell someone, um, you know, hey, I want you to go, um, you know, until you think you're going to die. Yeah. And yeah, that's all relative. I mean, sometimes I'll say. There are visualization techniques you can use if someone really wants to go there. You know, you can say um, there's lots of ways you can do this. There's a number of them. Some of them are are tapping into releasing some of the negative things that you've experienced in your life. Yeah, things that maybe be fr- maybe frustrations or angers, mm-hmm. things that make you angry that you want to tap into, and you can release them in quote unquote a more healthy way. You could also be reinforcing that anger if you bring that up a lot. And you make you know, you stay an angry person because you keep having angry thoughts. Yeah. That's not a good thing. The other thing you can do is think about, oh my gosh, how incredibly lucky am I that I have that I'm among the wealthiest in the world that I can go and buy these supplements and have this luxury where I actually force myself to do labor mm. because I'm trying to create some aesthetic with my body, whereas most of the world has to do manual labor. And their bodies are breaking down because of the things they've been doing on a daily basis, and they may be struggling just to have enough food. Yeah, if yeah. you have perspective in that way, you go in the gym and say, "Gosh, I'm so thankful for what I have." That's motivating. It's like, "Wow, I better, I better get after it." I'm not going to go in here and pussyfoot around and play with my phone and talk to people. You know, I've got a real, I've got a real genuine opportunity here. I've only got so many years I can do this to see what I can do. I'm going to like, you know, at least pay tribute to um, the blessing that has brought me to the point I'm just born to the right situation. Yeah. So that's a very positive way to look at it. Yeah. Everyone's motivated by different things. You know, there's positive and negative. You can create visualization exercises. I'll tell people these. Sometimes 
you know, if the logbooks, you got eight reps previously, mm-hmm. we're going to get 10. Literally, you close your eyes and you see it from start to finish. Yeah, what like happens? Yeah. I step up. What happens to my mindset when I flip the switch? Um, if that's what people like to do, the noise that you make, but like even having a little guttural, you know, growl will like you'll get people pumped up. Yeah. Um, and how that first rep feels when you power the first one up, just almost effortlessly, and especially how that feels at the very end when mo- you're thinking, you know, my body wants to stop, but there's no way my mind's going to give up on this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep. I mean, you, so you see all that in your head, mm-hmm. and then you just step up and do it. Yeah. Already, you've just done it. <laughs> it's just, it's literally, and there's some. I've actually written another article for Lead FDS on on this this notion too. Yeah. So there's some good research showing that that can have a performance enhancing effect. Yeah. Those visualization techniques. Yeah. Um, I like a good that training a lot. partner. I tell tell people, you know, if you can't train hard enough, then find someone who's bigger than you, someone who'll make you, pardon my French, make you his bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Or make you her bitch. You know, it may be a, women train hard. Yeah, I agree. I oh, agree. Yeah. If you're if you're a guy who's like like I'm not gonna let her beat me <laughs> type mentality, if that works for you, Absolutely. then then train with a woman because mm-hmm. she's gonna kick your butt. Yeah. Probably, she may not lift the same loads if she's smaller, but she's gonna lift relative, especially on legs, yeah. as much or more more than you very very likely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I when I train with Dave and Dave Dave Henry and I were training partners initially. We trained for like eight years, eight ten years together in, in Arizona. Amazing. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, it was also kept me, it kept my mindset straight because I'd like be training with Dave and I'm like, I go and like, you know, watch a video of like Ronnie Coleman over. I'm like, I'm not that impressed. Like, I'm just train with this guy, you know, look at this, you know, really. And then I realized I'm, no way is my physique anywhere near Dave's. So it always kept me humble. But Dave and I were competitive. Dave was always stronger than me on, on chest for sure and yeah. presses mostly. Um, and back, I could hang with him on. Back, we were really close. Mm. And then legs, I could I could get him most yeah. of the time. <laughs> yeah. And um, and that's just where we were. So I, he was he was coming after me on legs, mm-hmm. and I was trying to trying to hang with him on chest and on back. We were like using the same weight, you know, a lot of things, uh-huh. you know, rep by rep. So that was great. That was a perfect training um, dynamic with a training partner. So there's training partners. Yeah, we could spend a whole podcast talking about. Yeah, I know, it's, it's incredible. I think that, like personally, and what I've seen with people that I've worked with, or or people like uh, even just in the gym, is it, it it is it is sort of quite mindset related, and that's purely personal. Um, I think you've got to you've got to know where your like your good place is in terms of tapping into where you perform at your best. Um, I've, like you said, I've tried that whole approach of like trying to tap into anger or trying to tap into bad thing that's happened or something like, or a bad day that I've had. I always seem to perform worse when I do that. And yeah. it's the same when I try and hype myself up too much with like rock music or loud dubstep or any mm-hmm. anything massively loud and distracting, especially when doing something like a squat where the technical side of the lift is quite high. And I have to think about the movement. I it distracts me way too much, and I prefer to just be like in tune with the movement. and And sometimes that involves listening to the crap gym music and yeah, just focusing. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think you know, just finding your environment where you do well. Um, I totally relate to you on the training partner side of things as well. I think training with someone that's slightly better than you in some aspects with mm. like some lifts is great because you chase them. Uh, and the same goes for like even just having other people in your gym that oh yeah that are performing way better than you because um I remember a time when I trained in a gym where you know no one was doing I was probably one of the best in there I was probably one of the strongest in there and mm-hmm. that wasn't a great environment for me like now I'm in a gym where I saw a guy who's actually coached by Jordan, funnily enough, who was squatting 190 for 15 reps the other day, high bar, and it looked easy. And I was like, what the right. hell? Like, I'd, never <laughs> yeah. seen, I'd never seen that before. And that motivated uh-huh. the shit out of me. So like right. things like that, I think, being in a great environment or being in a, a bodybuilding style gym is going to definitely send you in the right direction. Um, yeah. For sure. Um, there's, an in, there's an inverted U from a scientific person. There's an inverted U 
um, type of dose response in terms of arousal and performance yeah. that fits the different types of performances, whether it's to the extent to which it's skill mm-hmm. or just, you know, amount of, of absolute motor output. Yeah. So you get too aroused. Like if you're about to go and like, um, you know, try to like take apart your phone and, and, you know, you ordered a, a like a new lens and you're going to have to take apart your, your iPhone with a little, you don't want to be aroused for that. Like getting yeah. psyched up to do that is not going to help. It's way more than you want. You know, you'd be dropping the screws over the place and then you get really pissed off. Mm-hmm. So like with you, exactly what you said with squats is too much of a skill component. You get overly aroused and you just become just like this spasmodic lifter who, yeah. who just doesn't do well. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's very, very true. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so Scott, I, um, I'm also quite inclined to ask your opinions on, sort of whether fortitude training and the intensity that it provides i know there's different tiers um but have you seen sort of any examples of drug-free athletes using fortitude training to their advantages and really getting good results out of it and do you see large recovery ability differences between enhanced athletes and drug-free athletes or have you seen maybe some examples of drug-free athletes that have really shocked you and gone up to like the the top tier and and progressed really well i'm not sure how many sort of natural athletes you work with but yeah have you got any examples the whole program was set up without um any Variability. Like, there's no there's no mention of of super supplementation of steroid awesome. use in the book at yeah. all. It's all about you know fitting with your own level of recovery. Now, okay. steroids of course will help. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that generally you know is a a trump card so to speak. It it moves you to a higher level. Yeah. But the interesting thing I'm trying to get at all your questions. The interesting thing is, I mean I've had I've had clients. I have one client who dieted down on the highest volume tier. Yeah. natural the whole way wow that's interesting the whole thing yeah. Yeah. and that's his recovery level yeah um and then you know i've had other clients and other people i know who um weren't and they volume tier one the lowest one works for them mm-hmm. and that's just the that's a matter of their individual um uh constitution so to speak as well as how hard they train and one thing to consider too is a lot of times guys who are enhanced are going to be lifting heavier loads. Yeah. So that's true. greater taxation. And you see that over the course of time. Jordan and I talked about this not too long ago too because he's extraordinarily strong. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and in the UK, Dorian Yates was a prime example of this. He had to adjust his volume down the stronger he got because yeah. of the inroads that it creates. Mm-hmm. So there's so much overlap um, among individuals. There's sort of so much variation among individuals that and then there's, there's so much overlap, enhanced versus not enhanced, that it really almost makes no difference. Mm, yeah, you yeah. take in in the in the broad scheme of things. Yeah, um, I think if you looked, you know, at a group, obviously, if you took someone who was not enhanced and then enhanced them, they're going to have greater recovery, mm-hmm. but they're also going to get get stronger at a more rapid rate, and that's probably going to impact what they can recover from. Yeah. As well, yep. So it may end up. I mean, my sense is that I would not be surprised if it's a wash mm-hmm. that way, because I mean, you also know, especially for instance with orals, that the impact on aggression can be there. Okay. There's there's a central effect, mm-hmm. uh, like powerlifters, for instance, will use like something like halotestin, okay. um, and that will have like it has a very acute effect. Um, Jordan's mentioned some of these things too. You know, some some orals he's used sort of as a pre workout. Okay. And that's pretty common use. So there is an effect there. That in and of itself is another. It's like adding jet fuel. It's adding adding you know turbo <laughs> to your training. So you yeah. train harder. Yeah. But then so that that's it's a greater stimulus, but it also requires a greater amount of recovery Great. in order to yeah. harness that stimulus for an adaptation. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good question. But people do really well. I, most of the people I have a discussion board that goes along with the with the book. If someone buys the book, they just got to send me their, their transaction ID from the, um, the purchase mm-hmm. over on board, integrativebodybuilding.com. Okay. They'll see the discussion board there. And then they get free access. They get a free subscription as long as I'm alive and still doing the board. Um, I answer questions every day on there. Yeah. And there's a bunch of logs. Um, gosh, I mean, I should have. I, I just read them and I just, I just smile. I, I don't know how many 
probably like literally at least a hundred um, personal messages or posts. Like I started Fortitude Training, and these are the best gains that I've made, you know, in like sometimes in decades. Yeah. This sort of stuff. And of course, people aren't going to message me and say, you know, I started Fortitude Training, it sucks. You know, I'm not going to get the messages. So this isn't exactly a random sampling of opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm hearing that a lot, and I'm hearing it a lot from people who are not enhanced. Mm, um, that's awesome. And, and, that makes, and that makes sense, too. The other thing I thought of when I knew you were going to bring this question up is that being enhanced, especially, and this I think applies to some of your listeners who may be younger, okay. is you basically are missing out on some of the important knowledge that can be obtained um, if you if you start off at an early age, um, that you're only going to get when you're training natural, mm. because you have to have all your ducks in a row, and you have to be very sensitive to the impact of diet and sleep and supplements, non super supplements, yeah. on on your progress, and that's how you learn. Mm. Yeah. You learn tremendous that way, and then you can and you can band aid, of course, all sorts of dietary and recovery mistakes. With super supplements. This you've heard this a million times. I'm sure you've talked about it here mm-hmm. before. So you end up, let's say, someone who wants a certain level of development, um, and they can literally pretty much get that mm-hmm. uh, if they su- if they up the dose, if they use enough. Mm-hmm. Well, then where's their desire to learn? Where's their desire? To, they've already achieved what they want. Yeah. There are there, and then a lot of times the ego is obviously involved. This is a very egotistical and, of course, narcissistic pursuit. Mm-hmm. Many many. Mm-hmm. So now they've satisfied that. Where's their drive? Like they walk, they're the biggest dude in the gym. Yeah. People are always like, like, oh my god, looking at this guy and like asking, like, how'd you get so big and what do you eat? And mm-hmm. you know, you've already, you've already sat, you've quenched all those things that would otherwise be fueling your desire to better inform yourself and learn more. Mm-hmm. So what you've done now is you're like, well, shit. You can almost, you can, I've seen this many times, I've been around for a long, I've been around since the beginning of the internet and decade before that or more. Yeah. People will then be like, okay, now I've gotten to this level, I don't know what, there's a psychological, um, uh, you can call it addiction, you know, there's an addiction to certain degrees, like, Ah, okay, okay, what I've gotten, and then what do you do after that? Like, Mm -hmm. if you want to, like, go back and and be natural now, then you have to deal with the fact of how much better you looked in the past. Mm, Yeah. Can you do that? Um, and when you, a lot of guys will not like, what's yeah. the what's your long term goal here? So, if and I'll take the other other <clears> situation, <throat> someone who trains for ten or fifteen years and they do everything they possibly can, they get all their eyes dotted, T's crossed, ducks are all lined up, and they they know a tremendous amount about their body, and they're like, okay, you know, maybe I know me in my in my thirties and my testosterone levels are declining. Um, and they decide to add something to that, mm. um, and that will that will that will continue their progress. And if it's a small enough amount, it's something that's not going to tremendously, at least, and maybe not at all, it may improve their health. Mm-hmm. There are lots of reasons that hormone replacement um, can improve health. Like actually, can can improve improve your your blood cholesterol levels in someone who's previously hypogonadal. Yeah. Uh, then you've got a way to continue doing what you love, and you're and you're so good. At knowing how to keep your diet and your supplement, other supplementation, everything on on track, that you don't have to use a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you come off and just go to hormone replacement when you're in your 40s or 50s, you're still going to look awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's not that's a hard thing to to think about when you're 20 years old and indestructible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like you can almost say to yourself, "Well, I can give myself from the body holding perspective." a frontal lobotomy and basically prevent myself from knowing as much about bodybuilding as I possibly could and just start using mm-hmm. or I can learn as much as I possibly can and then I'll know a hell of a lot more and educate myself about about super supplements in the meantime and then I can make that decision and then I have all the tools to maintain a really really good physique if I decide to like let that go otherwise you may never get those tools yeah they have bypassed your opportunity. It's like you have one time opportunity for a library card, and if you pass it up, there may not be another chance. You can't get back in there and learn again. You mm-hmm. can't. You can't be in that initial learning phase um, after you've used super supplements. For many people, not 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 everyone, but it's um it's something I've seen time and time and time again. And those people just vanish. Yeah. They come. Oh, I mean, literally, I, the internet was you know in the late '90s, early '90s. It started having news groups. 
and then discussion boards, and I can go, and these is, you know, this is when some of your listeners were, where they were in cribs, maybe, yeah. if they're yeah. teenagers. I agree, yeah. And, yeah, they were, literally. <laughs> and and I, I've seen people come and go. I've seen people who did excessive amounts of all sorts of things, and if they're still around, they've learned their lesson, and they typically tell people, don't do what I did. I was so stupid about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. George yeah. mentioned that, too. Yeah, He's yeah. like, if we, we just... Uh, we do a podcast, Jordan and I, and Scott McNally runs the runs the podcast for us. And that was a yeah, question: yeah. What could you go back and redo? And Jordan said that you know I wouldn't I wouldn't go as heavy as I did when I first started. Mm-hmm. So that's just some thoughts on that, and that's that's why I put out Fortitude Trade. It has nothing. To, there's no like drug talk at all in the book. <laughs> nothing to do with that. You know, <laughs> it's it's basically what I've been able to learn about bodybuilding and all the aspects of it. Um, over 30 plus years from doing it and also being an academician yeah and reading a bunch of stuff yeah yeah i mean i i I would totally agree the fact that i see a lot of people almost jumping ship before they've learned enough about just building muscle in general and then when Mm. they do jump ship they're not maximizing that either like the the Mm. the biggest the biggest people are maximizing both so they've already got a huge knowledge on training and nutrition to optimize the goal of muscle gain and then they just throw in the super supplements and continue to get more and more jacked as a result of that um but they've already built probably incredible solid foundations from just being a natural athlete and you know i think also at the same time people almost they look up to like the they they almost have the role model of the the assisted bodybuilder prior to looking at what's potential like possibly Holy. natural so they're looking up to like kai green before they've seen what's the top naturals are doing um and you know that that, that does kind of frustrate me and, and unfortunately i was i was very very similar when i was young um you know i, I remember vividly doing my my first first ever show at like uh 18 and thinking, oh, I'll just do one natural show to dip my feet in the water, and then I'll just, you know, start doing the 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 sort of the the other shows. And mm-hmm. uh, like, as soon as I went to the natural show, I was like, oh, you know, this is this is possible naturally. I think I'll just work a bit harder naturally first, mm-hmm. um, and spend some yeah. good quality time getting to the potential that I've just seen. Um, right. So, like, w- one of my biggest things whenever someone asks me about it is, I'm like, get yourself along to a natural show view like actually see it in person what's possible um Mm -hmm. and then hopefully they're in the mindset where they actually believe it (laughs) because a lot of people are like yeah no it's it's not natural they're they're all not natural it's impossible but um you know they are they're drug tested so it's um you know it's yes it's frustrating that but i think it both ways the, the 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 point is clear is that people need to develop the knowledge whatever route you go um, and I have absolutely no discrimination at all against anyone that that, that goes down the other route, as long as they're, oh, no. as long as they're doing it sensibly and they're <clears throat> they're doing it with the knowledge, because that you know people like you, people like Jordan, you know, motivate the hell out of me. Like, mm, um, so right um, you know, I have absolutely nothing against it whatsoever. Um, awesome. So I I'm aware that I'm we're coming up to an hour, but I would like to ask you a little bit i know this is probably quite uh, like you can't really be a little bit but i would like to ask a little bit on your nutrition thoughts especially that's if you could cover sort of more your thoughts around optimizing peri-workout nutrition and your thoughts maybe behind how people are not <coughs> optimizing that because unfortunately that's something that i see that people aren't really tapping into the potential that they could have with optimizing peri-workout nutrition okay so yeah that's a big t- I, I, speaking of articles i have a three-part article on peri-workout recovery supplementation so okay. intra-workout drinks okay. on elite fps i'll find um, that and link it in the notes as well yeah, it's, I can send it. It's actually, I have on my website, which I think you've been to, I have a list of the things I've written, and it's yep. there. It's a yep. big, it's, three, it's three, three articles, so it's a kind of a monster. Okay. Um, and I re- wrote it two, three years ago now, so there's probably some things to be added to that. But sure. So the idea is that there's several things that you want to you wanna have in place for recovery from the training stimulus. Mm-hmm. The idea is not just to, just to create the insult. The idea is to recover from the insult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I mean, you're, you're literally you're picking something, you're picking something up and putting it down, picking it up and putting it down, repeatedly doing that, and that's a really a nonsensical thing in terms of, of function. You would never do that if you were like trying to build a house or trying to do anything in the real world. Only example I always give is like maybe if you've got someone who wants you to like rearrange the furniture in a room and she or he is really indecisive. Mm-hmm. So you pick up the couch and you put it down. You pick up the couch and you put it down. Too. <laughs> but that's why you get sore. It's those long movements that make you really sore. Yeah. And essentially we're producing what you could, you could just generically call a muscle callus. Um, yeah, I've in heard the mu- you used that term before, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like building a callus on your hand. Yeah. So you want to be able to recover from that. Some people, if you've eaten a large meal beforehand, um, you're going to have the advantages of having elevated insulin, which is highly anti-catabolic. Okay. So that's going to slow the muscle breakdown. That's going to favor protein accrual uh, okay. in the muscle cells. Plus, you provide, assuming you ate some protein, you're providing amino acids, and those will further increase the muscle protein synthetic response. Um, and those two main things are what you're going to get um, from having an influx of nutrients during your workout. Mm-hmm. You could do that with a big meal before a workout. Yeah. Um, if you work out for like two hours, for instance, and you know you could end up not having much around by the end of those two hours, depending on how much you ate. Um, this is where an intra-workout can be quite advantageous. Okay. It's that you find something, and people are using the sort of the newer technology, the highly branched cyclic dextrins, because they have um, they don't cause any gastric distress in most people yeah, very easily. Quick, yeah. So, yeah, that that as well. Um, not a lot of stuff out there in humans actually on that. It's oh, okay. mainly rat data, but yeah, yeah, it seems like that's the case. Okay. Uh, even if you look at the Vitargo literature, this is kind of a side topic, but yeah. there are different formulations. They went from a barley to potato starch, I think. Mm-hmm. Or maybe vice versa, and they have data that actually contradicts itself. You can look at their look at their um, their research, mm-hmm. and in one in one case, I think they saw a higher higher glycemic response, and the other case they didn't with the different formulations, and they just basically took this took the information from one study and applied it to presume it was going to work for their newest formulation, which it hasn't been demonstrated in. Mm-hmm. Like they they really like it. It was beyond cherry picking and how they present their data. Anyway, that's a side topic. But mm-hmm. um, so you want to have carbohydrate around. Carbohydrate, of course, is going to provide for some glucose, not as a fuel source per se, okay. but you can replenish glycogen between sets. So you do a set and you rest two or three minutes, and there's some glycogen resynthesis that happens there. Mm. Um, the protein is going to be helpful. Protein plus carbohydrate will further enhance your insulin release. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be have an anti-catabolic effect. So we're increasing the, the post-exercise protein synthesis, and we're reducing the post-exercise and intra-workout as well, catabolism. And both of those things are going to favor a positive protein balance in the muscle that you train. Um, that's what you want. You want you're going to want to accrue you know workout by workout more and more muscle myofibular protein in those muscle cells. The other thing is, let's say it's the typical chest, deltoid, tricep, maybe ab workout that someone does. Yeah. And they train chest first. Hour and a half workout, chest takes a half an hour, then they're done. Mm-hmm. And then they do deltoids, and then they do triceps, and they do abs. And there's an hour between when they finish chest and when they would have their post-workout. Maybe they mm-hmm. chit-chat in the gym. And then you drink that drink, mm-hmm. and then you've got absorption delay too. Yeah, it's not you're not going to instant. It's not like you've, you're injecting this into a vein. Injecting whey protein, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to. Yeah, you're not doing an amino acid infusion. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you may have an hour and a half before you've actually created that hormonal milieu, that amino acid, um, hyperamino acidemia in the blood that you want to get all those good things, mm-hmm. the elevated glucose, um, if for your chest and chest may be the most important muscle group. That's why you trained it first. Yeah. yeah. So what if someone said, okay, after we're done training. I want you to wait an hour and a half before you eat anything. You'd be like, well, oh, no, I'm not waiting. But that's essentially what you've done if you train chest first because your workout lasts longer than chest, that first muscle group that you train. Mm-hmm. So if you sort of preload by start drinking an intra-workout beforehand, you're ensuring that your post-workout for chest, which is actually in the middle of your training session, you've got food available. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you're eating your chest post-workout meal while you're training your deltoids, triceps, and abs. Mm-hmm. And 
cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one way, one reason why that can be helpful. For a, another thing that I found, this is more of an empirical thing, is that if someone has a certain caloric intake they're trying to match, and a lot of people don't can't eat very well. Yeah. If you if you schedule basically a meal intra workout, it's a way to multitask. So maybe you have two meals beforehand, and then you give yourself an hour and a half, so you've got an empty stomach when you start your intra workout. And if you if you're using you know highly absorbably like like Pepto Pro and highly branched psychotectric yeah. something like that, yeah. yeah, that's what most people do. You don't you will adjust for what it's worth. I mean, back in the day, we had like you know people were eating whey concentrate and maltodextrin. Yeah, and you might be bloated, but you'll get used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stomach does adapt. There's a guy named um, Joachim Roop who's um, from the Netherlands who's done a lot of this sort of work with uh, I think I said his name properly. Mm-hmm. His does work with cyclists, and there is some adaptation in terms of your ability to um, empty the empty your stomach oh, okay. um, during endurance exercise. And I've noticed that with myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back in the day, I actually had worked up to a 2,000 calorie intra workout. Just to sort of, I wanted to see, you know, I, yeah, so yeah. One thing I, as I test my limits, I sort of push past yeah. and I was eating about 6,000 calories a day those, those days. So yeah. I do a, a thousand calorie meal, a thousand calorie meal, a 2000 calorie interworkout. And of course then I didn't have to eat afterwards. I could, I could get done and the way my workouts were timed, I could go and take a nap. Yeah. Um, You'd need it was a exhausting. Nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eat a nap. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you get pretty tired too. And then, you know, I'd eat my other 2000 calorie meals. Yeah. Um, and that was like, you know, just, but that was just, there was just this, there was just, I think I was using some maybe, I was using way isolate back then, but you can adjust to those yeah, things. Yeah. People don't want to, yeah. um, but you can. So um, there's a way then to get more food in more easily if you make a meal out of your interworkout. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons to do it. There, the, the research people will look at um, some reviews and then a meta analysis that Brad Schoenfeld. He's the biggest name. Alan Aragon was involved, yeah. and that's protein timing. They're yeah. not using because uh, uh, there was there aren't enough data, mm-hmm. um, but they basically find there's there's no effect of protein timing in terms of quote unquote anabolic window. Um, out, yeah, yeah. But if you look at the study, I think there were maybe 23, 23 studies, and only four of those in the meta analysis. Excuse me, only four of the twenty three studies, if I'm getting the numbers right, were with trained individuals. Let's see. Yeah. So, and they they tried to run a sub analysis to see, you know, what's going on with trained folks, but what you have with untrained people is um, sort of a ceiling effect. You're only gonna you're you're gonna grow really quickly no matter what you're doing. They're newbie gains. Yeah, that's can, true. How fast can you possibly grow mm-hmm. when you're initially growing? Everyone sees that. Eventually, things sort of taper off. Yeah. So, would the protein matter? Who knows? There are a couple of good studies out there. Um, Willoughby's done one, and Crib and Hayes are the is the other studies, and they've they've shown a true pro, pro, a true timing effect from taking in an intra workout when total calories um, were not different w- with the placebo versus yeah. the um, in one case they use like a pre and post workout intra workout. So there's some science to suggest this. That's just two studies that were really well done. It's something I see with clients, who especially in. They're, they're becoming very rare now because everyone's doing an intro workout. It's a well-known supplement category. Sure. Um, but people who haven't and they start doing that, they notice it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can tell. They just feel they feel more recovered. Um, they they sense their gains are coming faster in the gym. Yeah. It makes a difference. Um, yeah. I've unanimously. I'd I'd say um I'd say anecdotally as well with sort of introducing it into my training recently. I did in the past. And then I took it out for a period of time. I think I was in a I was in a deficit at the time when I initially took it out because I wanted to, to actually eat the calories and not drink them. Uh, um, yeah. And I was just absolutely starving, so I had to. Um, but I then put it back in recently, and I found just like main sort of effect has been sort of a fluidity of energy throughout the session. So whereas in a <clears throat> like a two hour leg session. I'd hit stiff leg deadlifts and I'd hit an absolute wall. Like I just like the energy would be sapped from squats and leg press or Smith squats or whatever. I'd just be done. And like the stiff legs would take a little bit of a hit. And then the rest of the session, <laughs> right. like the leg extensions would be draggy and the leg curls, etc. So, but now I can sort of like break through that and keep going. Um, mm-hmm. and that f- 
probably that's down to just getting some um, carbohydrates throughout the session i guess but it's um it is interesting to see and and i, I brought it out actually brought it back in because i was listening to quite a lot of your stuff and i was like oh okay. just bring it back in um yeah same with sort of john meadows stuff as well he seems to be very much behind the peri workout nutrition side of things mm-hmm. for sure yeah I, I work i'm working with john i'm part of john's company yeah for granted sure. supplement so yeah, people can find yeah yeah we've uh i'll give a plug at the end i got a discount code in the whole kid and caboodle but yeah, we've got a, a, a recovery recovery factor x is the main carb containing um product that we amazing. have cool. that people seem to like yeah you can get it in the eu as well cool. um yeah it's available so awesome. yeah john favors those i do um that's the last thing I when I diet people down. That's the last I I, I will almost never remove an intra workout. Never pull it. Okay. That's yeah. that's when never pull. It's, that's when you've got the most volatile um, muscle muscle turnover. Your protein turnover is so high. It's like you want to like you want to get the stimulus from the training and nip that in the bud. Um, you know that's when you're gonna you can burn down so to speak the most muscle. Yeah. Is being fasted in that sense, and this is the way I see it at least. So. That's the last thing that ever goes. I keep those high all the way through, and that in the post-workout period. Yeah. You know, one of the big questions is about about diet. When we're on the topic, is that the diet on the day should match your energy output of that day and of what course. you do. Yeah. So non-training days, you've no, you've got so no performance needs mm-hmm. really getting through your day, which is nothing for most folks relative to training. Yeah, and your recovery um, is still paramount. Um, but you, if you're trying to lose body fat, you got to create a deficit somewhere. Mm. The non-training days, go through your day, suffer, be hungry, but you don't got to train. You don't got to do anything except make it through the day. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I put the deficits with most folks. That's or where I remember training days, yeah. the non-training days. Jordan does the same thing. Jordan and I worked together for a while, so um, we're on the same page on most things. Yeah. And But don't, I mean, I was, most of the time I'm still eating like I have these fat-free pizzas or these these cheese free pizzas that I eat post workout, yeah. I'll eat those right up to the up to the show. Yeah, perfect. I keep all that food intact. Yeah. Um, so I can recover from my training, and then you know, the, and then I just you know ball up and deal with it on the non training days. Yeah. That's when I'm fat. Yeah. So obviously, op- optimizing your performance on the on the sort of the training days is your priority because yes. weight weight training and muscle retention is is your priority. So if you can create the deficit on the off days and maximize training performance on the on days then that surely that makes a lot of sense right <laughs> if, yeah if you don't have the training stimulus you're not going to do well Retain you're going to lose muscle mass and if you don't recover from it you're not going to do well yeah so that's those are those number one and two right there awesome well so. awesome scott i i've um really really enjoyed this chat i know that we didn't we didn't shift through all the questions we wanted to answer but for sure this has been uh, incredible and i'm sure that a load of people will take away some some great positives from this so i'd like to thank you very much for your time scott sure problem aj awesome we can do it again man yeah no definitely I'd, i'd love to i'd love to have you back and shift through some more sort of questions on I, I know I had a few more on etc injuries and things like that so I'm, I'm sure that we'll produce something again in the future um, but yeah thanks again for for coming on thanks anyone that, that did listen and also if you did listen and you've got either like a question that potentially we'd, we'd answer in a future podcast if we manage to get Scott back on just pop it in the in the YouTube comments um, obviously like the video share the video if you got anyone that would would love to listen as well and yeah we'll see you back in episode 30 thanks again scott right thanks awesome. aj thanks Appreciate mate it.